recently in our staff worship and the office here. It's been a couple of weeks ago now, I think. Um, we um, we were reading uh, a devotional. It's a you know 365 day devotional. You read through it on the calendar date, and um, we were reading the devotional by Bill Johnson. Um, some of you may remember know him. Um, he was uh, the editor of the uh, Review and Herald magazine, Adventist Review and Herald, for a long time. Very thoughtful guy, uh, and I mean that in terms of he's a good thinker. And he just uh, he pointed out this passage that's on the screen that um, Zechariah chapter 12, I will pour on upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication. And for the last two or three weeks since we read that, that that phrase has been sticking in my head, a spirit of grace and a spirit of supplication. And and it's begun to it's begun to describe for me spiritual maturity. What is spiritual maturity? What is it that takes a person to that next level? What is it that that identifies a person as having gone, moved forward in their spiritual life and what it means to be a disciple? And I've I've thought for a long time that it's hard to define a disciple. You kind of know one when you see one. But it's hard to really define what it is. But when you see one, you see one. You know that look. And this, I think, may be one of the best scriptural pictures, best scriptural definitions for what that looks like. A spirit, they have a spirit of grace and supplication. In the Hebrew, this is an interesting word. It's almost a, it, it's the, it, they're both the spirit of grace and the spirit of supplication. Those two words, grace and supplication, come from the same Hebrew word. And so if you were hearing it in Hebrew, you would hear this sort of rhythmic sound to it. It would be uh, chen and takan chen, which are both from this kan chen sort of uh, Hebrew root. And, and so you would hear it kind of as this sound that flowed. It would be almost a little poetic. The spirit of grace and supplication would rhyme as it was coming out in Hebrew. But just, just as, a, as an anchor for what it means to define a life lived in a world that's in chaos. People who walk with God, people whose hands are in the hand of God, people who know they're held up by God, have a, have a spirit in the face of difficulty, in the face of trial, in the face of disrupted world, this disrupted world of grace and supplication. So I, I just want to, I just want to stop and tell you why we're talking about this this morning. It's because of the world we're in. I just want to remind you because as I, as I, as I remind you of these things, I want to ask you to apply a spirit of supplication to them. What can you do about a shooting? 6,000 miles away or 4,000 miles away. Well, you know what you can do for Munich? You can pray. And I, and I, I know that we, we look at that and we almost think of it as trite. We think, oh, well, all I can do is pray. No, 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 not all you can do is pray. The biggest impact you can have is to pray. If we can lift up someone who's harmed, someone who's fearful, someone who's struggling, and say, these are in need of prayer, if we pray, it changes things. In Munich, just yesterday, a gunman killed 
nine people and injured a bunch more in a McDonald's and in a shopping mall. In Würzburg, Germany, a teen attacked a bunch of people on a train with a machete just Monday. In Nice, France, on the 14th, a man drove a truck into a crowd on Bastille Day, killing 84 people, injuring hundreds. On Monday the 18th, the man killed three police officers in Baton Rouge. In response to those, that same Baton Rouge Police Department, who about four weeks ago shot a man while they had him down on the ground. The response to that and the, the same, a similar event in, in Wisconsin, a man shot and killed five police officers in Dallas on the 7th. This is to say nothing of the divisiveness and the anger and the political rancor that we see all around us. Every TV show seems to have some political angle these days. Half the commercials are just going to amp up more and more and more to throw out some political message. We've just finished one convention, as someone said, we're about to start another one. And there are just going to be lots and lots of images that demonstrate a divided world, divided country, divided populace. In kind of looking at these things over the past few weeks, living through them with you, I've just been feeling a lot of angst, feeling a lot of sadness, frustration, sometimes anger. And as I've been dealing with and feeling those things, I thank God that he placed in the midst of my mixed up emotions of the last few weeks this phrase. I will pour out upon them a spirit of grace and supplication. A spirit of grace and supplication. I want to encourage today that spirit. I want to talk a little bit about it and about how we might make that happen. When we ask what are we supposed to do, one of the passages that we fall back on and that gets thrown out there for us regularly, it kind of tells us to ignore it, or it seems like it's telling us to ignore it. It's Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, lovely whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Does that feel like this to you? It does to me. They feel like they equate to one another. That I, what the Bible is saying is, hey, ignore all that crazy stuff. Think about something that's true. Think about something that's noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable. If anything is excellent and praiseworthy, think about such things. And is the Bible saying we're... Sh- Am I saying we shouldn't do that? I just want to remind you that Philippians chapter 4 was written during the first century in Rome to a group of people who lived under the, under the arm, under the finger, under the thumb, under the heel of the Roman government. 
through a group of people who certainly knew a divided world. Certainly understood a world in conflict. And what does the apostle say? The apostle says in a world where angst is likely to build up inside of you, where frustration is likely to build up inside of you, where where heartbreak and sadness are likely to build up inside of you as a believer, I would like you to focus on some other things. Admirable things. True things. Lovely things. Are there any admirable things left in our world? Sure there are. Watch a mother with a new child. Watch a a couple of parents playing with their children in the park. Watch a couple married for 50 or 60 years walking along holding hands. Are there any admirable things, the heart of a child, who just looks at you and lays it out honestly? The voice of a child speaking to you as their parent, their grandparent, their auntie, their uncle, just saying, I love you. The expression of someone truly pouring out their heart to Christ. Is there anything admirable and true? How about Jesus? How about the Word of God? Think on these things. It's easy to just fill ourselves with with the, the, the video coming in through the news. When one of these events happen, I'm usually on the radio or the television or the internet trying to find out what's going on and, and hearing those sketchy, this is going on, no, what we changed, it's this going on, oh, this has happened. And the scripture is saying, the scripture is challenging. Don't dwell on those things. Dwell on the good things of God. And it will give you a perspective on what you're seeing. So here I am. In my confusion. I guess this is confession this week. Trying to figure out how to ignore the hard things and yet have a spirit of grace and supplication. And trying to figure out how I might think on what's good and admirable and lovely in the world. First, some perspective. God is God, and I am not. Amen. Because when these kind of things happen, one of, the, one of the places we go in our heart is, God, what are you doing? God, how could you let this happen? Why, is it, why didn't you stop this? Especially if this gets close to home. Especially if this touches somebody we know, care about, or love. We go right to God and we say, how could you do this? What are you doing? And in the back of that discussion, in the, in, the, in the heart of that question is, do you really know what you're doing? God is God. I am not. And that's really good news for me. I'm not in charge of this mess. And the one who is in charge is God. He is capable of handling it. He is not walking away. He's not giving up. He's not giving in. He is God. Secondly, God is good, and I am not. 
You know, we have this misunderstanding in our world today. People all around us are saying, oh, no, the heart of man is good. The heart of man is good. It's a corruption of scriptural understanding. The scripture says, no, your heart's a mess. Your heart's deceitful and wicked. Your heart's terrible. God is good and I am not. And neither are any of the other people I live with. Everybody's messed up. And when I think about somebody out there who's messed up, don't let me forget, Lord God, that I am also. God is God and I am not. And God is good and I am not. God walks through whatever fire comes our way with us. God walks through whatever comes our way with us. And we and they, whoever that they happens to be today, the people on the other party, the people in the other side of the world, the people in the midst of these conflicts, we and they are His children. All of us. So just a, a little bit of perspective. God is God and I am not. God is good and I am not. He goes with us through whatever fire comes our way. And we and they are His children. You got those? I'm going to move on. A little historical perspective. I'm not old enough to remember this very well, but do you remember 1968? Some of you nod your head. Some of you are like, what? Ah, it was way before I was born. In 1968, we had this weird, weird political moment. The person who was running for president decided not to run for president. And so a whole bunch of people jumped into the, into the rush to try to become president. There were like 16 candidates for president. Hmm. We'd had three assassinations in the previous decade. Not even a whole decade. John F. Kennedy, Robert Kennedy, Martin Luther King. Our world was absolutely divided. We had racial riots in the streets because of the King assassination. We had political riots in the streets because of the Vietnam War. Our nation was so terribly divided, it didn't look like it would stick together. 1968. Sound familiar? 1941. Europe was in turmoil. A crazy little Austrian had gotten control of Germany and was marching across Europe, wreaking havoc, killing thousands and would kill millions, bringing the entire world into a war. We had tried to stay out of it, and we made it almost to the end of, well, we made it all the way to the end of 1941, sort of staying out of it. And what happened? Some people who lived across the ocean decided to bring the war to us. 
And so America rushed in to and become embroiled in a worldwide war. 1861. Abraham Lincoln has put the, the match to a bomb that was ready to be lit. The tensions in the country over slavery and the secession of states in the South was thick. These states had, so many states had seceded that they declared themselves another country. And a war broke out between people who were cousins and neighbors and nephews and brothers and fought here in our country across borders that were not borders prior to the war. Two armies met hundreds of thousands of young men, young women, Millions today would be trillions of dollars worth of property burned, destroyed, bombed out. We were divided. And we were at war. We could go through the decades, but just take you back to 33 AD. Jesus had 11 loyal followers who were serious, as far as we could tell. He had another probably couple hundred folks who were what we would consider the church. They were, they were believers. They were following. They were supporting. They weren't in leadership, but they were around. And in the spring of 33 AD, the one reason they all were together hung on a cross and died. The political world was a tremendous mess. The zealots in Israel had raised up angst between the Israeli leadership and the, the Roman leadership, so much so that the Romans had built a fort that overlooked the temple. In the next 40 years, the claim that Jesus was resurrected would transform the world around the Roman world would get worse. Christianity would grow in the midst of a horrible torrent of political and social unrest. People who spoke out against the government, spoke for Christianity, were regularly taken into the center ring of entertainment, tortured and killed for the pleasure of a watching audience. I want to gather some perspective here. I want to gather this perspective. I want us to think bigger, broader, see the picture. Because there's a tendency for us to run screaming into the woods every time something happens near us. And forget that there's a God on his throne who is not surprised about today, who is not giving up because people are behaving badly. 
and who has overcome worse in the past. And last, probably the hardest perspective. I think we need to ask, how am I reacting? And why? When I'm listening on the radio yesterday to what's going on in Munich, and they're talking about perhaps three people who have walked into a a shopping mall and shot mostly children and teenagers, found out by the end of the day it appears that it was just one But my reaction in that moment was, can somebody just shoot those buggers? What was yours? Where is your heart in those moments of crisis? When that division is forced in your face, when something horrible is happening around us, do we have grace do we respond in supplication what is our heart like in those moments perhaps the most important perspective to look for is the internal one how am I responding why am I responding this way should I be Jeremiah is the one who said it. The New New Living Translation puts it pretty boldly. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? We need to gain a perspective that recognizes there's a God in heaven. We need to gain a perspective that recognizes this event is in, a, is in a long line of events that have happened in the history. And we need to gain the perspective of our own heart and our response in these times. That's why I wanted to bring you Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 10. I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication. And I want to ask for God to pour upon us a spirit of grace and supplication. A spirit of grace so that when I check with my own heart I find a spirit of grace. No matter if the people that I'm looking at on the other side of the world are related to me, look like me, talk like me, speak my language or something else. No matter if they're doing something I would do or not. That there is a spirit of grace in my heart. And a response of supplication. You see, Zechariah describes in the next portion of this chapter, in this verse... They will look on me whom they pierced, and yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son. 
The English translation here is recognizing the Septuagint. The oldest Hebrew translations here say, Then they will look on me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for me as one mourns for his only son. John would capture this verse and he would say, When Jesus was hanging on the cross and the soldier pierced his side with a spear, he said, That is the fulfillment of this. They will look on me whom they pierced. We would not find out until about, about six weeks later that the rest of this verse would also be fulfilled. Peter would stand up in front of the Jewish people over and over again. He would say the same thing to them. He would keep saying the same thing. Look, you rejected the Messiah. You caused Him to die. In Acts chapter 3, He specifically says, you chose a murderer over the Messiah and you allowed Him to die. You chose to see the Messiah killed. And the people would cry out over and over again, what should we do? And Peter would say, repent and be baptized. Change the direction your life is going in. Change the decisions you've been making. Make a different choice and follow after Jesus, demonstrating that in baptism. You see, what happens when you are convicted, what happens when, when you realize your own sinfulness, when you, what happens when you look into your own heart, you don't like what you see, is a spirit of, that seeks grace, a change in who you are. You begin to say, Lord God, I'm a mess inside. I need your covering. I need your grace. And you begin to reach out to God, convicted of your own need. And you cry out to Him and ask for His covering and ask for His favor and ask for His mercy and ask for His grace. You see, that's what happened in the first century. Peter said, you guys saw the Messiah. You rejected the Messiah. You killed the Messiah. And He's alive and resurrected today, offering you back His grace and His forgiveness. Change your direction. Choose something different. And that has been the message from then to now. And I want to talk to you today, if you have not done this, if you're early in your spiritual life or if you've just been fooling around in church. Some folks come to church and they, 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 they use it as a spiritual parking lot. They just come in, plant themselves from week to week. They sit here for a, a few hours and they, they take in things, but nothing ever changes. They take in information, but nothing ever changes. If that's you today, you need to look inside your heart. You need, to, you need to discover who you are in there and understand that your heart may even be deceiving you. The power of the human heart to deceive its owner is amazing. We will make up all sorts of excuses for our behavior. We'll rationalize almost anything as okay. Someone told me once that it was okay for them to, to, to view pornography because they weren't getting the appropriate things they wanted in the rest of their life. Somebody told me it was going to be okay for him to marry multiple people because it was, it was his thing and God was cool with it. I've had people tell me all sorts of weird things about their behavior that didn't align biblically, didn't align scripturally, didn't align morally, but they thought it was okay because their heart had convinced them. If you're that person today, get over that. If you've aligned yourself with something you know is not biblical, get over that. If you've been, if you've been looking at the Scripture, claiming that something in there doesn't apply to you, you need to deal with that. You need to get over that. You need to change that. You need to listen to Peter's words. Check your own heart. Check yourself before you wreck your life. 
Repent. Change your direction. If that's where you find yourself this morning, change the way you're going because you're headed in the wrong direction. There is no Jesus in that direction. There is no grace in that direction. There is no mercy in their direction. There is only an eternal loss that you will somehow, someday regret. If you are that person and you've been coming in here camping and you haven't been doing anything, if this is your first time here and you go, oh my God, he's asking me to change my life. Yes, he is. And oh my God, he is. Because this is what it's all about. If a heart change is not happening in the people, in the body, if a heart change is not happening for you or for me, then it needs to happen. Recognize who you really are, not who you've been pretending to be. Recognize who you really are and do something different. Come to Jesus. Ask for His grace and His covering and His mercy. Ask for Him to lead you in a different direction. Ask for Him to change how things have been going so that things will not go that way anymore. So that when you look at your own heart, you know Who's there? You can be honest about what you find. I want to speak to the second group. You've been following Jesus for maybe a decade now. And you've topped out. You've flattened. You've kind of gone up for a little while. And you're... If your life spiritually is plateaued, it's the same question and it's the same answer. What's going on in your heart? Where have you told God, I'm, a, I'm okay with obedience up to here, but not beyond that. Where are you with God where you're saying, nope, not doing this. What have you held back? What door have you slammed shut in his face? Day after day after day, he keeps showing up, offering the same relationship. You keep closing the door and saying, this is as far as I go, God. And he shows up and he offers the same relationship. You keep closing the door. This is as far as I go. If you're 10 or 20 or 30 years into your relationship and it grew, it was great at the beginning. And then it's just been kind of flat ever since. Do something about it. Change it. A spirit of grace and supplication is what you need, what you want, what's really real, what will make a difference in your life. It will make a difference in your business practices, your personal practices, your life, your marriage, your children. It'll make a difference in everything you do and are. Check your heart this morning. Look on the one whom our sins pierced. Look at him. Recognize the call to mourn like your own son has died. If we can live through the passages that our world is living through right now without any compassion, thinking like I was thinking yesterday, just kill those guys, there's something broken. Some of us have been in the church a long time. 30, 40, 50 years. And I want to say to you that if you feel like your spiritual life has been going up and to the right your whole life, praise God. But you can never have too much of the spirit of grace and a call to supplication. A spirit of grace comes out of the person who recognizes they've received grace. A spirit of grace for somebody else comes out of the heart that recognizes it has been given grace. 
a spirit of grace for somebody else comes out of a person who has taken a true, honest look at themselves and recognized that if except for Jesus' intervention, we would be completely at the curb and lost. You know the story of, a, of a, the famous preacher back in the 30s who was walking along the street with one of his friends and a group of associates. And one of the associates saw a man laying in the gutter who was... Who had been apparently drinking crazily the night before, and that morning he still passed out in the gutter, laying there in his own filth and in the mess of things that were floating down behind and around him. And one of his friends points out this poor fellow, this poor wretch. And the preacher, who had been an alcoholic, who had been in a similar situation in his early life, tells his friend, there, but for the grace of God, am I. Every single one of us needs to recognize the depth of our own heart puts us in the same situation but for the grace of God. But for the grace of God. But for the grace of God. If you've been following Jesus for very long, you're aware that the next response is the most effective response in the universe. To recognize someone else's struggle. To feel compassion for them. Leads the follower of Jesus to prayer. To feel compassion for those who have suffered. Feel the compassion for those who have been stricken. Feel compassion for those who are fighting. Feel compassion for those who are arguing and angry and pressing out. To feel compassion for everyone in the story you hear in the news. And pray. A great spirit of grace and supplication is the spirit of the church in these times. This isn't the time for us as a body of believers to look for a political solution. We should be voting, we should be engaged, we should be committed to doing what we think is right. But the real solution the end game is Jesus. Whether it's division in this country or another country around the world, the end game is Jesus. You know what stops the fighting in the Middle East? Conversion. You know what stops the fighting in the world where we live? Transformation. When God 
convicts us of our own brokenness, we can have compassion on others who are broken. When we find ourselves with compassion for others who are broken, we find ourselves at the throne of God, lifting them up. Today, I'm going to ask you to pray. If you'd like to pray with one other person, your spouse, child, a friend, someone who's sitting next to you, fine. If you'd rather just pray by yourself, quietly and silently, fine. But I'm going to ask you, every single person here, to pray. Because that's the way out of the mess we're in. Ultimately, we're looking for an evacuation from this place. Ultimately, we're looking for a day when when God takes his children home and finally settles all accounts on the earth and reestablishes it without sin. That's the ultimate end we're looking for. But today's answer, if Jesus doesn't come before the end of the day, is still going to be found on our knees. So if you're feeling the anger and the angst and the frustration, pray. If you're feeling a need for those who lost loved ones in the last month in all of this mess we've been looking at, pray. It's not a simple thing. It's not a, it's not a throw out, throwaway line. It's not a curt, nobody cares, so pray. It's the ultimate thing. It's the thing. It's the hand of a broken heart reaching out to the answer for people with broken hearts. It's the hand of the weak reaching out to the hand of the strong. It's the hand of the powerless reaching out to the powerful. It's the hand of the angry reaching out to the one who is no anger for the situation. It's the hand of those who lack compassion reaching out for the ultimate one, the ultimate compassion. So I'm going to ask you to pray. When it sounds or seems like we have prayed, for a while and are settling that it's kind of quieting then I'm going to pray at the end of my prayer there will be a song and I invite you to to stand and sing that song it's a it's a familiar song and it's asking for your whole heart so for the moment for the next few moments Would you just pray?
Lord God, today we want to confess our brokenness. We admit to you that we have had some bad responses to things. Things close to us and things distant from us, we have responded poorly. I have responded poorly to them. Some of them have been curiosity without compassion. Some of them have vented anger. Some of them have brought frustration. But Lord, I have not prayed enough. Lord, and as a church, we confess our lack of prayer. As individuals and as a group, we confess our need to pray. To recognize that you are the answer for the mess we find ourselves facing every day. Whether that's personal, local, global, you are the answer. For our own hearts, we ask for grace. For our own brokenness, we ask for mercy and grace. And we ask for transformation. We ask to hear the voice of your spirit and respond. We ask for a change in the way we go about our business, where we are about your business. And we ask that you will help us to see that to those of us who have been given great mercy, should come a spirit of mercy and grace for others. I pray for a spirit of grace and supplication for our church. I pray that we would have grace for one another, that we would have grace for those others. We will have grace for those people in our lives. We will have grace for people we don't know, people who behave badly, people we don't understand. And that we will bring them to your throne. Call us to respond with grace and supplication. Change us to respond with grace and supplication. Transform our ideas, our hearts, our direction, our choices. So that we respond as Jesus responds to us. We look forward to the day when you clean up the mess. But we're happy to stay here, live in it, so long as there is one more person who would change their mind, repent, and follow you. We ask for the salvation of our world for the transformation of hearts all over the world. For the power of your presence to fall on the church. Not just ours, but all of them. That we would align ourselves with you, with what you call us to in Scripture. And that we would pray. We ask these things because Jesus made it possible. Thank you.